All right. Well, hey, what's going on, everyone? Uh, thanks so much for tuning in to the Common Good Podcast, Home Edition. Uh, we are in the middle of a quarantine, uh, but we are committed to delivering fresh content uh, straight to you from our homes right here on the Zoom platform. And so uh, I hope you're doing well. I hope you're staying safe. Um, I hope you're staying sane. I know these are crazy times, but I uh, so appreciate you just taking time out of your day uh, to lean in, to listen, and to learn. Uh, if you're new to the, to the Common Good podcast, uh, we highlight everyday, regular, ordinary people of faith who are finding ways to utilize their passions, their skills, their gifts, their resources, uh, and their influence for the common good. Uh, we believe that God has called the church to be for the flourishing of all people and all persons. And uh, so we really want to just share and highlight stories of how people are doing that uh, with the hope that you're going to be inspired, you're going to be encouraged. Uh, you might be challenged to think about how God might be inviting you to personally work for the common good in the places and the spaces that you occupy and influence on a day-to-day basis. And so uh, with that, I just want to jump right in. Today, I'm super, super excited to have on the show, on the podcast, a good friend of mine, a longtime ministry partner, former basketball teammate, my man, Sam Louie is in the house. Sam, what's going on, brother? Hey, Royce. Good to see you. Thanks for hey, having me on your podcast. Well. Absolutely, man. How you doing? Well, hanging in, trying to stay safe. Yep, absolutely. Are you uh, at the house, in the office? Um, I'm actually in my therapy office. Uh, okay. I still like to do sessions here to give people a feel of the office, even though some of them, many of them are not able to come in. Gotcha. Gotcha. I, I like the look. I like the digs, man. <laughs> I try to make it a little tranquil. <laughs> I dig it. Well, I so appreciate your time uh, just to be with us, Sam, and uh, really excited to have this conversation. You know, for uh, our listeners that might not be familiar with who you are or uh, your work, uh, you are, how should I say it, a man of many talents. Uh, you're a psychotherapist. Uh, you have your own private practice here uh, in Seattle on the east side. Uh, you're also a motivational speaker. You're an author and you are a spoken word poet. Um, but long before any of those things uh, in a, a previous life, uh, when I, I think when I first met you actually through your brothers, uh, Ken and Fred, uh, on the basketball court playing pickup, I think at that time you were still living in LA and you were working as an Emmy award winning broadcast journalist. You were a, a television reporter in LA. And I still remember um, being so surprised when I think you were at the height of your career uh, you were living in LA, living the dream. And, uh, and I remember uh, I had just started doing ministry and I, I had launched a young adult ministry at the church that I was previously uh, a part of. And, uh, and there you were uh, at the end of, of the, the Saturday night service. And uh, I was like, what are you doing here in Seattle? And I come to find out that you uh, had actually made a career change, uh, really in a lot of ways, kind of this 180 career change. And you had left LA, you had left uh, this career and you are now uh, pursuing a career in, in psychotherapy. And so, uh, man, I don't know. That, before we just talk about anything else, <laughs> I've always just been so curious. I mean, that's a huge jump and that's a huge change. And um, I know a lot of our listeners have thought perhaps about career changes. And um, you know, I went through that whole process and journey of doing that for myself as well. But I'm so curious to know, uh, and it might be helpful for our listeners, kind of what was, like, how did that happen? Uh, was that kind of something that, was a journey and a process or did that kind of come out out, out of nowhere? Sure. Um, you know, when you describe it as that, it sounds very stark. <laughs> like I just, 
<laughs> it was it was for me because all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Sam's in Seattle. I'm like, what are you doing here? <laughs> uh, so it was a very organic process. I had been in the television broadcasting industry for almost a dozen years, or just about, or if not that, about twelve years. And during those last two and a half years before um, I made the switch, I had gone through a divorce. And um, at that same time, I was also going through a job layoff that kind of threw, I, I guess, you know, your, your, the name of your church is Common Good and the podcast is Common Good. So it made me reflect um, as I was going through this journey, well, how does God really want to use me, my experiences, my history, my past, um, and what I'm going through? But it was very organic. So what I meant by that is first, um, I was at the time, this was almost 20 years ago. So divorce was very rare in the Asian community. I did not even know anybody amongst my peers or even at the church that I went to. And I attended a pretty large uh, Asian American church. I don't remember anybody being divorced there. So there's like a real big stigma of going through a divorce. But um, I remember it was very shameful to even consider therapy because that's just not something that a lot of Asian folks do. I know I carried a lot of shame about the divorce and the things leading up to the divorce, let alone trying to get therapy for it. But my pastor was Asian American and he had often preached about going to marriage counseling for him and his wife. And so when he found out about what I was going through, he really recommended that I consider therapy to help me with my healing. I said, you know what, only because of you, like, right, only Mm. because I have this trust of what you and your uh, ability to lead and just be real with yourself, am I going to take this, what I felt was a huge uh, cultural step to go into therapy? Um, I was in therapy for a couple of years, both individual therapy and also group therapy with other men. Um, And through that process, you know, I think God's kept calling me to the therapy world. And what I mean by that is I would still go back to my, I eventually found another job in journalism um, after about six to eight months off doing a bunch of uh, just random odd jobs. And when I was working at the uh, news station, I kept pitching stories related to men's mental health, therapy, recovery, Mm. uh, Asian American issues, so on and so forth. So much so that some of the colleagues would joke like, hey, Sam, have you ever thought about doing this full time? I said, what do you mean? (laughs) Like, you know, like like considering this and, you know, uh, I thought just getting my bachelor's degree was enough, let alone trying to go back and uh, go to graduate school. But, you know, I kind of let that percolate a little bit more. So then after another, I think it was probably three years post-divorce, I applied and I got into Azusa Pacific University and I went through my program and um, I came out uh, with my master's degree and decided I wanted to return home and kind of figure out from there what to do yeah wow gotcha so in a lot of ways that kind of explains and and it's so fascinating to hear about 
Um, and, and I think uh, interesting to hear how God really used kind of that journey to kind of inform and shape what you're doing now. Uh, and in a lot of ways, uh, even some of those kind of painful experiences, uh, mm-hmm. God has used that to, in your own healing and your own redemption to really see that as now kind of the avenue for you to really minister and to help people. And so I know a lot of your focus right now as a psychotherapist and uh, as even a motivation, motivational speaker is really around these topics of race, culture, and psychology. And uh, just for our listeners who, uh, just so, you know, they might be aware of some things that, that you do uh, in terms of currently uh, your work, uh, you have a popular blog on psychology today called Minority Report candid conversations on race, culture, and psychology. So you are really kind of living and breathing and kind of the intersection of these things. Um, but a lot of the work that you're doing uh, as well now uh, is really focused around the Asian American experience and Asian American identity. Uh, you've written uh, a couple of different books, uh, one poetry book uh, that is titled Spoken, Not Broken, Healing Through Poetry. Uh, and then you have a clinical, there it is. Wow. Um, <laughs> I think you gave me one of the, you gave me that copy too. I have that book. Oh, did I? Okay, uh, okay. I think so. And then you have your clinical publication, which is Asian Shame and Addiction, Suffering in Silence, which focuses on this idea of Asian collect- uh, collectivism and cultural shame and its impact on mental health of Asians uh, all, all over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also do a lot of workshops too. And, and I was just looking at some of the titles of your workshops. Uh, I think it, it, you've done these at universities, at different corporations. Uh, I pulled a couple off your website, your culture, your roots, your identity, what it means to be Asian American, uh, Asian shame and addiction, suffering in silence. Uh, another one is I wish I was white, the desire to fit in, yet always standing out. Uh, and then I saw this one, losing face and finding grace. Man, I like that title. Counseling and care within Asian Christianity. Um, I feel like, man, there's so many different things that we could even just unpack there uh, just in terms of the Asian American, American experience. And, uh, and I, I know for many of our listeners who are Asian American or Asian who can perhaps even identify just with some of those titles. But uh, for you, I know, you know, Asians like and Asian Americans, it, it's not a monolith, right? There's so much diversity in terms of people's experiences. But uh, I don't know, maybe just sh- share about, uh, I know from a personal standpoint, why a lot of these topics matter, because you, these are kind of lived experiences. But what have you found in terms of just ministering and helping others in their own journeys uh, to be perhaps uh, some of the kind of biggest themes um, or issues that that you find people struggle with? Well, I think, um, you know, the irony is even though I grew up first generation Cantonese American parents, we were born in Hong Kong is because I was eating, sleeping and breathing the Chinese culture and heritage I didn't really understand what that meant in terms of how does this impact me relationally, Um, both the good parts, but also some of the areas that needed to be challenged and um, reconsidered. So in therapy, it actually took a white therapist to be able to see some of these dynamics and kind of ask questions about it. There's a quote that says the, um, the fish is the last to know it's in water. Hmm. because Man. if you're swimming it all the time, you have no idea what you know. you're in. Wow. Um, so I think one of the biggest things that she highlighted to me is like, you know, Sam, a lot of what I'm hearing is this whole sense of collectivism, 
right? Mm-hmm. I mean, she understood academically what that meant. Um, and she was able to give me a lens to reevaluate myself. Everything seems predicated on honoring your parents, your family, your ancestors, your Chinese culture, and then the greater Asian community. Yeah. But what happens when you do something, even like coming into therapy, where that's not seen as honorable, that could seem mm-hmm. very shameful, right? Not only to me individually, but I was able to see like, oh, gosh, no wonder it's so strong, because I feel like a sense of honor to my parents. And if I'm here, this means I'm letting down my parents, my dead ancestors, all the yeah. other Asian people, right? There's a lot of group collectivist thinking yeah. that's rooted in um, a lot of traditional uh, Asians, and then obviously those who are Asian Americans that I was not aware of until I was confronted with it. Right, right. Wow. So, you know, talk about this idea of why is it important? Because I think it, these might be generalizations, uh, but w- when we're talking about Asian American identity and kind of some of the things that, uh, that those of us who, who identify as Asian American struggle with, um, I think it's an interesting thing uh, in terms of it being a topic that not a lot of us want to talk about. Um, it, perhaps it's related to things like Asian shame and uh, mm-hmm. some of these other topics. Uh, but I think just in general, I, I feel like um, talking about race it sometimes is a hard thing. And then when you pair that with like Christianity and faith, uh, like I think the church in general doesn't really do a good job um, especially maybe the, the white Western church or even Asian churches, Asian American churches, I don't think they like to talk about this idea of, of race. Right. And uh, maybe some of that just goes to a particular lens of understanding how, uh, you know, when you become a Christian, your, your sole identity is being a Christian and that's like your primary identity. So therefore everything else doesn't really matter. Right. It kind of your race. It's, it almost seems like that's sometimes what's communicated in the church that all of these other mm. things like our, our gender, our race, Right. right. Sexuality, all these other things kind of get erased. And the most important thing is, is being a Christian. Uh, but for you, uh, it, it sounds like it's really important as you help people kind of work through their stuff to understand that understanding their race and their ethnicity is actually and, and their culture is a really important piece of, of healing, but also understanding who God has made them to be. Um, no, maybe talk to that a little bit and just in terms of uh, why that's so important uh, for you in terms of as people think about kind of these different dynamics. Yeah, it's very layered, right? We're Christians. That is our identity. Uh, But I also can identify as an immigrant, right? There's an intersection there. I also can identify um, as uh, specifically Chinese. I can also identify with, to a certain degree, the African-American experience growing up in South Seattle. Um, But yeah, you're right. I think part of the the challenge is we don't want to make our ethnicity or our gender uh, an idol of sorts, but mm-hmm. sometimes that can be misinterpreted as, oh, these things are not important at all. Let's just elevate the fact that we're yeah. Christians and let that be. Um, but, you know, God great created us the way we are, so we should be able to embrace that, embrace our diversity and whatever we bring to the table. Um And I think for myself is I first had to understand what did it mean to be an immigrant first off, right? Mm -hmm. And then to um, really appreciate my parents' struggle as immigrants 
coming to America in their late 20s and 30s, trying to adapt to an American and a Western way of thinking that, yeah. I mean, like, and, and then learn the language. They didn't know a lick of English and then to try to do that, right? So that's very, yeah. so part of me is like, okay, how do I appreciate where I came from? But then how do I also understand where I'm at now? Because I'm, I'm at a confluence of both traditional Asian American thinking and also kind of the European, when I say European, meaning uh, the ability to think for ourselves, to speak up, uh, to be independent. Uh, these are very, they're, they're just different, right? Like yeah. the, the, the uh, Asian way is to be obedient, to listen to authority, right. to follow a hierarchy, um, to not stand out, there's the Japanese yeah. proverb, the nail that sticks up gets hammered down. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think part of the struggle was how do I make sense of who I am? Who am I? I'm Christian. Right. I'm Asian. I'm American. Like, let's just put this in a blender and hit blend. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So that's one part, uh, right? That's yeah. one part. You know, yeah. I think the second part is depending on where you grew up, how do you integrate into American society um, or whatever society you're in? So if I grew up in a, since I grew up in an African-American community, I'm trying to Im integrate into an African-American subculture. That means understanding mm -hmm. uh, and how do you get acceptance, right? Right. Um, and for those who grew up in predominantly white communities, they're going to be, even if it's on a very unconscious level, how do I integrate and get accepted? So for some, that may mean dismissing their ethnicity, dismissing mm -hmm. who they are. And I've met clients and other peers who grew up in very white communities and literally told me it wasn't until I went to college that I realized I was Asian. Does that make sense? Right. I mean, they knew yeah. they were Asian, but like, they just never thought about race until they right. were challenged by it by their peers in college. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I, it makes me think about the whole, um, I mean, you talk about this idea of, of trying to fit in and assimilation, but also reminds me of kind of one of the challenges that I think a lot of um, Asian Americans face is this whole idea of kind of being stuck in the middle, right? And mm. kind of this third culture kind of idea, right? Yeah. Where like as an Asian, we know, like, if we understand where our roots are from, but yet we know that we are not in the mainland, we're not in the motherland, right? Like we were born here, but yet at the same time, there's also this sense that no matter what, kind of this perpetual foreigner idea, right? That no matter what, yeah. we'll never really, really fit in as much as we try to fit in, as much, much as we try to become educated, work hard, do all the things that somehow culture and society has said that if you do these things, you, you can be one of us. But yet at, at the end of the day, we feel like we, we're still not really there. We're kind of stuck in this middle, right? Right. Uh, and I think that's where sometimes for a lot of Asian Americans, I think that's where the struggle and the tension. So, you know, that reminds me of a line in one of my poems, too Chinese to be American, but too American to be Chinese. Mm. That's right. like the Asian American experience. We're creating yep. a new identity that's totally separate from our from at least my immigrant parents. And how do I make sense of that? Totally. Wow. Yep. Hey, I want to talk about um, Asian Americans and, and racism. Yeah. Um, you know, over the past couple of months, uh, obviously, we've seen a rise in 
uh, racism, harassment, discrimination, uh, hate crimes, just overall xenophobia towards Asians and Asian Americans as a result of uh, COVID-19. And, uh, you know, even just thinking over the past like week and a half, right, there's been an issue even here in Seattle, I think it was on the news yeah. uh, with Kurt Lynn, right, and his experience at Home Depot and how they didn't do anything uh, about it. And now there's actually investigations around it, but we're seeing so much racial kind of rhetoric, uh, even in the administration, right? Uh, the other week with the journalist who, um, you know, Trump made the, the comment towards her about going, why don't you go and ask China, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, and then obviously our administration and the president has even referred to this particular virus as <clears throat> the Chinese virus. Um, maybe speak to kind of what you see going on right now. I think for perhaps a lot of Asian Americans, uh, especially maybe the younger generations, uh, this is kind of a, a new thing, especially when you talk about those that have never really perhaps experienced racism or have even thought about their race until maybe later on in their life. Uh, I know you right. did a recent, you did, you were featured on ABC news uh, and you spoke specifically kind of to this issue. I know you wrote a blog. Uh, I think this was on psychology today. You wrote that blog titled racializing the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Why Trump's description of it as the China virus validates racial hatred. Uh, I don't know, just talk to us a little bit about kind of what you're seeing happening right now um, with kind of what's going on. Well, uh, whenever we're in a state of anxiety, uh, we, I think, kind of just the general public, we're looking for somebody to blame, right? Anytime there's a crisis, we need to blame somebody. And so yeah. I think Trump and his administration in trying to blame China end up blaming all of the Chinese people, right? The citizens. There's a difference between blaming a communist regime and blaming mm. the Chinese citizenry. And I think that part gets lost when, it's tr- when he tries to communicate to the public. So then the average listener is just going to hear Chinese people. Chinese people are the culprit, started yeah. in China. Um, and we have been, I think a lot of Asian folks have been insulated from racism there may be uh, stereotypes, right? But they have mm-hmm. been mostly positive stereotypes. You're a good worker. You don't, you don't complain, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, so this is the first time, at least for millennials, where they're seeing, wow, your race right. does matter. Your yeah. race does play a role. You can't hide the fact that you're Asian if you're in a very white community or any community that might try yeah. to target you. Right. Yeah. So what, what have you found, um, you know, as perhaps some of us are experiencing that for the first time, um, like w- what should be the response? Uh, what should be the response uh, as Asian Americans, uh, but also even if, as we think about even the Christian lens, like um, <clears throat> is this something that, Right. You know, I think for so for so many of us, we have been taught to to not rock the boat and to not speak out. Um, like, what do you think in this situation? Like, how should we be responding kind of with all that that's happening? And I recognize that, you know, one of the issues even is just the fact that some of us just don't even feel safe. Right. Yeah. Like, I've been even thinking about this for myself. Like, I am so like conscious and aware now of my otherness. The fact that I'm, I'm Asian and whether I go into the grocery store, I'm thinking about, should I wear a mask? Should I not wear a mask? Even when I'm walking in my own neighborhood, like I, it's, it's crazy how I've, I'm 
I'm thinking about what other people are thinking about me, you know? Um, so I don't know what, what's kind of your advice or what, what's your take in terms of kind of how we should be responding and what are some of the things we could be thinking about? As so I this, think this um, everybody's built differently. Uh, my form of activism is being able to write. So if there's an incident, I'll write about it, blog about it, or, or do something, um, try, to, try to garner attention. I think the improper response is just to hide and ignore it and minimize it, right? Like, oh, well, yeah. you know, they didn't really mean anything. It was just a joke. Like, no, they have to, we have to confront that um, if people are even trying to mock you, it, it, like your friends try to mock you, somebody has to intervene. And this is actually when um, our white peers can really become our allies when our non-Asian uh, peers can come in and say, hey, that's not right, you know. And then we can finally have that discussion that you're talking about that makes us, makes people, I'm not uncomfortable talking about it. Most ethnic people are not uncomfortable talking about race. Yeah. But that's the piece that I think can really drive some of the discussion. And it doesn't have to be specifically about racism per se, but we could start like, hey, what about race is so uncomfortable to talk about? And right. I think that's what I try to incorporate into my therapy is like, hey, a lot of these, a lot of my clients have not had the space to be able to talk about what it means to be ethnic and their experiences growing up, even though it was not validated from the larger community. Yeah, I was right. bullied. Oh, okay. You know, people told me just to deal with it. That's just part of life, right? Like, well, it is and it isn't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so that's yeah. one piece, finding your own place of activism where you can speak out um you know as the the mayor had said at least for seattle if an incident happens you can you should call 911 make these reports because here's the thing if we don't do anything or say anything or bring any attention to it then uh mainstream media will never cover it you won't know it exists it might yeah. exist amongst our asian american or ethnic media but nobody will ever legitimize or validate these experiences. Whereas now it's like, hey, you can't right. hide that this occurred. <laughs> right, totally. And, and I think even just the fact of recognizing this more from a understanding this issue, not just from a, a self-centered, self-centric perspective, but understanding this is, this is affecting our communities, right, as a whole. Because mm -hmm. uh, I think some of the excuse might be for an individual to be, well, I haven't experienced that. Uh, I don't feel threatened, so therefore, why should I say anything, right? But I think, if you, you know, as you talk about this idea of, um, you know, that this is a, a collective shared experience, and that uh, if we even look at history, right, like the racism is towards Asian Americans is not a new thing at all, right? When you think about history, it's almost as if history just continues to repeat itself, right? And when you think about the Chinese Exclusion Act, Japanese internment camps, right? So. It's like anytime Asians seem to pose a threat or we're the ones that people can point the finger at the blame. Right. And I think we're experiencing some of that right now. And I think mm -hmm. it's, it's, uh, I think it's just a recognition of like, if we just keep sweeping it under the rug, like th these are going to resurface and, and people are going to continue to experience this. And perhaps we have individually, but it, it's affecting our, our brothers and, and sisters. And, and that's why it, it's important that we're speaking out. Right. And, and sharing about these things. You know, another thing, I, when I think about the Christian response, some people might feel overwhelmed. They could feel like they're powerless in all this. What are we supposed to do? Um, 
I want churches or Christians or whoever to realize that um, race does matter, that yeah. we are going to, we can't be colorblind, this notion that we're just all colorblind and we treat people the same. Okay, that's great if we treat people with the same dignity and integrity regardless of color, but we still have to recognize that each person comes to the world with a different experience and whether it's race, gender, sexuality, whatever, that yeah. also cannot be minimized or dismissed and just say, well, I, I don't, I don't, you know, because if you don't notice my color, then you're not really yeah. going to see me or appreciate right. aspects of me, the hardships, the challenges, um, and, and, you know, just the things that other folks may take for granted. If I can't just walk into Yellowstone National Park right now, Right. <laughs> or uh, you know, or somewhere like I can't just go to Wyoming, or you know, I just yeah. can't go to these white places and spaces and think everybody's just going to open up their arms. There, right. there naturally is going to be either a suspicion on their end, and even yeah. if not, there's heightened anxiety and concern on my end. And if as long as you can appreciate that, that's what I have to deal with, then I feel like we're much farther and better along than we are when we just say race doesn't matter. Right, right. That's good. Um, I, I know we're running out of time, so I, I want to get to this topic. And, sure. you know, we talked about for perhaps the younger generation, even millennials who have never experienced uh, perhaps blatant racism or discrimination uh, until now, until recently. I, I, you know, while this is obviously a very difficult season for all of us to be in, um, whatever ethnicity you're, race, you're in, um, I wonder, especially for the Asian American community, though, perhaps the, the invitation or the opportunity is to uh, become, as we become more aware of um, the, the challenges of uh, being the other, uh, I wonder if there's an opportunity for us to actually step into greater solidarity with mm. other communities, other marginalized communities, other uh, people of color. You know, I think yeah. in particular about our black and brown brothers and sisters. I think within the Asian community, there sometimes is kind of this, almost this anti-blackness and it's almost yeah. like while we're, while we're both minorities and we both experience discrimination, I think we've experienced it in very different ways. Right. And I, I don't think there's, I think, you know, sometimes we try to make these comparisons, but I think at the end of the day, there's almost been this, um, like we've been pitted against each other. You, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like Asians, kind of fight for their own thing. Uh, blacks yeah. are fighting for their own thing. I, I wonder in this season, is there an invitation for us to, how important is it for us to actually come together? Uh, maybe talk a little bit yeah. about just that a little bit. Well, you know, I, I think that's the hard part because for so long I've been like, okay, Asian American this, because that's who I am. But yeah. then how do I bring in, uh, so a lot of times when I speak or do anything about ethnic understanding, I was like, hey, let's just use the Asian American experience as a microcosm of other ethnic backgrounds that they go through. Um, so right. even recently when I wrote this poem, it was started, it was titled A Culture of, uh, or History of Complicity in relationship to uh, Trump's comment about the Chinese virus. So I wanted to hone in on that. But yeah. I wanted it to be bigger than that, because if I just focus on Asian, 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 nothing's wrong with that, but it doesn't bring in the wider systemic issues of racism. So wow, I start off good. the poem talking about Native Americans and, 
the uh, the historical issues they've had to deal with when it comes to racism, uh, Asian, I mean, African-Americans, and then finally transitioning to the very end uh, to Asian-Americans. Um, so, and, and so right now, uh, so that's why I have that blog on psychology today that may have mm-hmm. started off initially Asian-American, but now anytime I feel something's relevant, like um, when Ahmaud Arbery was shot and killed, I thought, right. okay, how can I write about this? Even though I'm Asian, yeah. how can I still write about this as a means to support the African-American community? So that's one way I think we can think yeah. more collectively is like, hey, beyond just our Asian-American issues that are dear to us, how yeah. is this still a part of the larger issue of racial inequity or systemic racism? Yeah, that's really good. Wow, so good. Um, hey, I know we're, we're out of time and you have to get to one of your, your clients. So. Uh, man, I hate to cut this short. I, you know, I wish we could talk about uh, more, uh, but maybe we'll have to follow up with the part two. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I just want to say thank you uh, just for your time and uh, appreciate you sharing just your heart, your journey, uh, your insight with us. And um, I'm believing that it, it's going to be helpful uh, for our listeners. Uh, and at, at, at a minimum, I think a way just to get us uh, perhaps thinking uh, about some of these issues that perhaps uh, you know, up until more recently, we haven't really sure, given much yeah. thought. So um, thank you so much uh, for your time. Uh, for everybody else that's uh, for tuned in, uh, I just want to say thanks so much for, for watching, for listening in. I hope you're encouraged. I hope uh, that, um, you know, some of the things that Sam talked about are going to be helpful for you that are going to maybe turn some wheels in your own head uh, as you think about uh, just this current season uh, that we're in. And so, um, you know, I want to encourage you, if there's anything that's been helpful in here for you, uh, share it, uh, like it, comment, uh, subscribe to our, our channel. We're going to continue to give and uh, provide uh, more content uh, just around different topics and um, ways in which people in our community are really thinking about the common good and uh, working for the common good of utilizing their skills, gifts, and passions and talents. And so uh, I hope that you're already starting to think about what does that look like for you, uh, in particular, as it relates to things like race. Uh, and culture and certainly this uh, context that we're in.